Very good. I think we've got some time. Shall we discuss some of the films that you saw <gasps> that I didn't see? No. After the film festival. Although I did. Well, it was at the very tail end of. Oh, the it was a festival. tail. And I did see some. Oh, it was a long tail. I saw some, but I can't remember which. I didn't write down which ones I saw in the tail end because we. <laughs> yeah, we had access to the you online saw... gallery. I saw a room of my own. Yes, or room of her own. Did or you see that too? What was it called? I did not. Okay, no. so we can talk about that. Did you see um, the one geographies of solitude? Nope. Okay, so we can talk about that. Uh, I saw five um, feature length mm-hmm. films. Wow. Th- two, three of which were documentaries. Uh huh. And I also there were also uh, three short films that I really enjoyed. Ooh. Um and managed to watch one of which was incredibly short at about two minutes long <laughs> it was very good i haven't really written notes for these i just wanted to yeah, highlight them it's very i enjoy you know i'll start with uh hidden letters I, this is not the order i watch them in, but this was <laughs> the first one i watched uh-huh. um hidden letters it's a documentary um about following two women in probably their late 20s early 30s in china oh yes um, who are both um, practitioners and fans mm. of what is a traditional um, writing for script from a remote valley in Hunan province um, that is known is officially the world's only language that was entirely for women. Right. So it was a women's only language. Um, and it sprung up because women weren't allowed to read and write mm. standard child, you know, Chinese, yeah. Chinese, and it's a. I really enjoyed it as a documentary. Mm. Um, it just follows these two women as they are dealing with um, their personal lives. And there's, I mean, there's one scene in particular that I, I had one of those moments where you go, "Is this a documentary?" Because this moment is playing out <laughs> in a way I can't imagine this ever just being naturally captured. Oh, I love that. As they contrast very well, I think, with some very good editing. Um, <laughs> the importance of what this language represented to the practitioners and that it used to be something you would pass down Mm. between women. And it was, you know, at a time, it appeared at a time when China was hyper, um, you know, um, what's the word? Chauvinistic, you know. Yeah, misogynistic. Yeah, yeah, misogynistic. Women were very much property of their husbands, Mm. weren't allowed to read and write, you know, Mm. foot binding. You, once you get married, you are off. And, you know, it's, you know, it's oldie times. You can't just WhatsApp your mates anymore. (laughs) You know, you move away. (laughs) And, you know, you would keep practicing this art. It wasn't, they don't, you know, make, I did some more reading afterwards. It's not that it was a total secret. Men knew that they were writing in this. Art, so but they would use it to. They also sang songs in this language, and it's not, you know, apparently a whole world away from the standard Chinese that or the dialect that they were speaking there. But it was this thing, especially by women, for kind of women, like a they would code. write it. Yeah, yeah, a little, yeah. Apparently, okay. a relatively you could crack it in a day. Right, it's not going to take you forever. But it was the thing by women for women. They could create art, create songs, and it was a way of you would share letters with other women. And they would become your bound sisters. And so you've got this whole spirit of what this language represents and means and who it belongs to. And there's one of the women is having this beautiful relationship and conversation with an old woman who's one of the last. I don't know if she's technically considered a last living practitioner, but she learned from someone who was. Mm. 
and she's you know old old as well she remembers you know what her life was like mm. um and contrasted very well with how it is very much um you know this is a world unesco recognized piece of heritage mm. and oh, in wow. doing so it is also a source of profit <laughs> right um, <laughs> <laughs> so um you know kind of don't blame they want to make some money out of you know they want to promote it but it is also it takes the documentary puts it in a very interesting way Mm. um and you know one of the other women woman is having a relationship it starts with her currently engaged to a guy right spoilers they don't stay engaged throughout this entire thing (laughs) (laughs) right because china is still a very misogynistic society like most places but there is still a lot of misogyny there yeah and women are not do not have full equal rights like mm, anywhere sure. <laughs> but you know it's still very much and they they address that and it's just a very interesting um it's interesting to learn about this language yeah but also to see how much it means to these two women who are still practicing it mm. for new and different reasons but it still speaks to them and yeah. to uh, a, a sort of you know a bonding feeling between them uh, and I cried a lot. Oh, that's great. <laughs> this one got me. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, hmm. uh, let's do the documentaries. I watched um, Brainwashed Sex Camera Power oh, by Nina Menkes. Yes, I yep. needed to watch that. I've attended lessons by Laura Mulvey, who was in that documentary. <laughs> yes, who was interviewed in it, yes. Yes, dang uh, it. Very interesting. <laughs> it's a documentary about, you know, properly exploring... Mm the term female the male gaze in cinema as laura mulvey um you know defined it and established this term and so Mm. nina menkes who has acted and um i I think now is just uh, is directing i don't know i can't remember Mm. but she talked about her experiences and interviews lots of academics and cuts between that with examples from films and some very handy graphics to try and just help you understand the theoretical yeah nature what what you mean when you say the male gaze yeah and what aspect like concretely what are we referring to within cinema yeah so it's not just being like oh you put makeup on because you have the male gaze and you want to be attractive yeah it no it's more in like concrete terms how are women f- depicted on film yeah in these subtle ways that essentially turn them into objects yeah i saw one yeah. of the people involved in in the making of that movie and she was saying that it's not necessarily like the male gaze is a definition thing. So it's not necessarily about saying the male gaze is a terrible thing. It's about when it becomes unquestioned and even unconscious. Yeah. It's when the male gaze is the only way of looking at women. And it is so ubiquitous that you do not even think to question it. It's when there are issues. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Mm. And because it takes such a practical approach to what it means, you know, she's, you know, they're also talking very passionately, but they are, explaining with real life examples so it makes it very understandable what could otherwise be i think quite a dense theoretical topic (laughs) um so i really yeah really good great great documentary well done Uh, and it's pretty it's uh it's sort of it's cut between a presentation that she delivered live Ah. to an audience and like they've adapted it into a film thing and it works very well cool um so all a lot of nina menkes's um uh bits where she's talking were are from her originally delivering it to like you know like a ted audience or something yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> interspersed with talk you know snippets from other academics and you know shots from films cool uh and the third documentary i watched was called crows are white oh yeah by uh asa nadim mm. and it starts i 
also loved this. I thought it was great. Um, <laughs> it's because it starts as um, Nadim goes to uh, Japan. Mm-hmm. He manages to get permission to um, interview a guy uh, from a very secretive um, Buddhist monastery in, t- in Japan, which is renowned for their, they're renowned for their extreme feats, physical feats of endurance oh, and dedication right. in pursuit of enlightenment. Uh-huh. And he has gone to interview and follow and do some work within the monastery filming and following one guy in particular who has vowed to essentially walk a marathon every single night in the dark, which will take him. I lost, I sort of was a bit fuzzy on the numbers, but essentially he's going to do it, you know, a thousand nights in a row or, and he has also taken a vow of silence throughout that entire time. Right. And if, if he fails even one night, he has promised to commit suicide. Oh my God. <laughs> right. So, right. So it starts as a documentary about this temple and its secretive customs and its strange traditions and its extreme, you know, devoutness. Sure. And he's just making progress with that. And he c- commits a very accidental faux pas. Oh, no. <laughs> that means he gets kicked out of the temple. Oh. <laughs> and at this point, he fought, he had, there's one of those, you know, moments where you make a decision that happens to change your life. Yeah. And he just goes back as a tour. He doesn't get permission to go back. They're very angry with him. Mm. He go back, goes back as a tourist because you can do tours around very select bits of the temple. Mm. And on the ticket desk, he meets the lowliest monk at the temple who happens to be a really cool guy. <laughs> <laughs> and they become, he starts following him instead. And then the documentary becomes not about this temple so much. It becomes a combination of what Buddhism means to this guy and also the director's own relationship and struggles with the fact that he is has been dating. He lives. He's of Pakistani origin, mm. um, uh, but his family live in Ireland. Mm. Is that right? Yeah. His parents are quite traditional. Oh yeah. And he has been in America since university years and is dating a white woman. And he has not been able to tell them and they're engaged (laughs) and he's really struggling personally Mm. with these feelings of um, commitment to your family, you know, following what matters to you, Mm. like that, that those two forces pulling on you between family commitments and what you want. And he, he finds a parallel in this monk who Mm. he befriends. And, you know, this guy, this as a very much a autobiographical documentary in many ways, it becomes. I just thought it was very well done, very well paced, very yeah. funny and charming. You absolutely love the people he meets. And it's a fascinating, you do get a look insight into this monastery, mm. but also, you know, this guy and his own challenges. I thought it was great. Amazing. Crows are white. Definitely watch it. Fantastic. That sounds incredible. I think I cried at this as well. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I cried at everything. <laughs> Excellent. And then... Two more, which were mm. um, um, fictional films. <laughs> what do you call them when it's not a documentary? Yeah, fiction films. Feature films. Fiction fi- feature films. Yeah. Uh, one is Inland. Oh! Which, <laughs> Fridtjof Ryder. Oh, I saw Inland with Mark Rylance. Right. Yes. Yes, with Mark Rylance. Yes, the guy who's turning to yeah. stone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I saw that at the cinema. Yeah. Right? Interesting. Uh, yeah, we put that on with my parents. <laughs> my mother selected Inland as the movie to watch. My parents also selected it. I don't Very think strange. it was quite entirely pitched accurately on no, the program. No, <laughs> the program can be a little 
sensationalist in the way that it kind of depicts things as being a bit more traditional perhaps than they actually Mm -hmm. are this was a very odd slow burn (laughs) yeah experimental lynchian story yeah yes surreal strange modern fairy tale in britain (laughs) very slow paced surreal scenes you don't really know what's going on had the feel of a crime movie but it wasn't yeah yeah I'm loading Unusual. up the description for Inland My... right now to see what it is that that it that pulls in parents mm. against their will. Uh, we honestly we picked we chose between so many films oh God, and that yeah. was the one we landed on. <laughs> I think partly because it was it does run at only like an hour and twenty minutes. Oh, there, yeah, it's it is, on the yeah. short side. Um, when it ended, my dad was like, "Oh, it finished." Yeah, I didn't. Ex- I thought it was going to keep going. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Draws heavily from the works of David Lynch, Nicholas Rogue, and a rural horror cinema. Let okay, let's calm down. <laughs> I mean, anyone can draw from those things. Yeah, <laughs> I think shot on a micro budget is probably the most revealing thing True. that is said about it in there. But yeah. no, it was it was good, interesting. It was yeah. interesting. It was not. Mm-hmm. It wasn't one of my favorites. I, I think no. I maybe I can't remember if I reviewed it or not in the actual episode we did. I don't think you did because right. I probably would have remembered. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was parts I liked. Mark Rylance. Rylance is great. good. You always got to love Rylance. Some very, be- you know, some very interesting imagery. Yeah. Um, it might be the Rylance that pulls people in. Oh, I like the Wolf Hall and um, the Bridge <laughs> of Spies. Yeah. Watch this. Um, don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. It was. I hope parents go see Bones and All for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, hey, babe. He wasn't very nice in mm. that one. <laughs> no no uh, and the remaining uh, one the remaining one was utama utama um which is a drama about an elderly quechua couple in the wilderness of well not there yes there is pretty much it's out in wild bolivia ah they live on a plane um they, they live are on a plane getting <laughs> yes, get pretty seasick <laughs> seasick what seasick oh god <laughs> i've been on no, a plane I, before I, right yeah Paul? yeah right there wasn't flooded along the water yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Um no, they're living in um in Quechua in uh, Bolivia in a traditionally Quechua area. Um they are, you know, a walk a long walk from even the nearest village. Mm. They have llamas, they all have their way of living and they have not had rain for a year. Right. And so their way of living is becoming unsustainable. And people, all the other old people in the town are starting to leave right and go to the city mm. um and it is just very well firstly very beautiful mm. i mean the setting is stunning but it's also filmed very beautifully okay and it's just this very sweet story about an old couple who they're not perfect mm. and the guy is frustratingly stubborn right <laughs> <laughs> um but what they have and their way of living matters to them and the world is changing and it's pushing people like them. It's forcing them to make a decision about where they live that is not the one they would choose. Right. Um, Mm. Because you can't live without water. Yeah. And their llamas can't live without water. They can't. And also they're getting very old. (laughs) No. But also they're Ah. getting old. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, I thought it was a very interesting and 
you know, it's always important to hear these stories yeah. when it's in relation to climate change. Yeah. Without it feeling too depressing the entire time. Yes. Or too oppressive. Mm. It was still worth watching, you know. Sure. Um, mostly just partly because it's just so beautiful. Yeah. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Excellent. Really enjoyed that. Good stuff. Um, well, there you and go. then three very shorts, very short, short, well, short shorts. Three short films. Who I like short shorts. I like <laughs> short, short shorts. shorts. <laughs> An avocado pit, which is about mm. a trans woman and a cis man who meet one night on the streets and they sort of just fall in love a bit, but ultimately Aww. realize that they can't, it's not going to work out. Oh. But it was just very sweet. Loved it. Beautiful acting. Mm. Amazingly done. Um, and again, that can't have been a massive budget, but they made the chemistry between these two main characters is superb. Mm. And um, that's how you make, you know, a great little film on yeah. on no money. <laughs> um, the other one I watched, one was called Honey, or uh, I believe it's Madhu, or in, um, mm. where is it from? I had the tab open. It's an Indian film, ah. a short film about um, two former schoolmates, two women who meet up again um, during a celebration and you can tell, you know, they're just hanging out as friends, but mm. it's just sort of exploring the very micro ways in which they clearly kind of just love each other a little bit. Oh, love that. And that was sweet. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it. Very nice. And then the other one that was great and I showed my parents is called Surprise. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> Did you watch yes, it? It very good. <laughs> very good. <laughs> Two minutes long. Yeah. Perfect. Beautiful. <laughs> Loved it. Very Two good. minute film. <laughs> Superb. Yeah. Very, very good. Yeah. Very Whole little cheeky. story all in, in one thing. Cheeky. Good fun. Yeah. yeah. Very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Excellent. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty go. good place to end our discussion of the elongated third part of the London yeah, Film Festival <laughs> discussion. And it just makes me reflect on the fact that I also watched five more movies and forgot to talk about them. <laughs> Yay. Okay, just briefly, The Woodcutter Story, which is a Finnish, story, a Finnish film from uh, Miko, oh my God, um, Nico <laughs> Mailalati, let's say, mm-hmm. and it's yeah, it's a very it's it's a very morose comedy, a very black comedy about a guy who mm. is dissatisfied with his life and rightly so because strange and sad things keep happening to him, and it's full of some strange imagery and a, it's gorgeously shot. It's um a very interesting film, and it's just about a guy living in a small town. And just his life starts to fall apart and he remains stoic and sort of simply upbeat in, in the face of it all. Um, yeah, it's 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 quite, it, it's good, but there was, I don't know, something that was kind of lacking in the way of engagement, but okay. nevertheless, it was still a fun movie. Our Lady of the Chinese <laughs> Shop is... Um, oh, yes, yes. Yeah. I wanted to see that. Where is this? Think around to it. Angolan? Ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it's Angolan. Yep, mm. it is. Angola. Okay. So it's, yeah, that's why it's in, it's in Portuguese and Chinese. This is a very interesting kind of <laughs> cultural mesh kind of movie. Um, mm. Yeah, seemingly about how the lives of a bunch of people living in a small community revolve around the decision to put up a, yeah, Virgin Mary in a Chinese shop and what that means to various people um, and, yeah, the f- significance of it. Um, there's this big set piece involving this huge speech given in a big stadium and how that pertains to the lives of these people it's yeah again a very interesting film that is very experimental um a little tricky to follow i found <laughs> a little mm. hard to sort of get okay. into it was a little obtuse but nevertheless was very unique and of its of itself much more accessible is 1976 
okay. movie by mm. Manuela Martelli, which is about a very comfortably bourgeois woman who finds herself drawn into uh, the war in... I'm gonna read Argentina? Chile? Y- is it it's one a- of those, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's against Pinochet. Um, oh, Chile, right? Chile, right. Yes, so- yes, Chile, Argentina, and Qatar is the uh, origin of the movie. So... Mm. Yes. So, we, yeah, this is a movie. Yeah, so this is a movie set within Pinochet's uh, Chile. It, it's about her being recruited. It has the feel of. Um, there's a movie called Leo Morin Priest by um, uh, Jean Pierre Melville, um, which is about a woman who sort of has a call to arms during the war and is sort of, you know, called to do more and sort of be a part of this movement. And it's about. In 1976, it's about the extent to which she is going to allow herself to do that. Um, mm. And you've got Aline uh, Kuppenheim in the lead, and she's fantastic. It's an excellent film. It's just about, it's very richly evocative of the time and the space and of the temptation to just ignore the things that are wrong with this society, um, but also the impossibility of doing so because of how ever-present the darkness is. Um, it's just a, it's a really compelling movie about living under fear and trying to maintain your values as a good person. Cool. Yeah. Um, Sounds interesting. <laughs> it was really interesting. And then, mm. oh god, Geographies of Solitude. This might be. This is my favorite one. I think I watched at home. Um, okay. It's a Canadian documentary by Jacqueline Mills, and it is about Zoe Lucas, who is a uh, a naturalist and environmentalist who has lived on Sable Island, which is described as belonging to Nova Scotia, but is really just in the Atlantic. Um, <laughs> and she has been there for. 40 years, I think. She has been living on okay. this island alone. Other people will come and visit and will, you know, spend time on the island with her, but she is basically there, has been there on her own, and it is mu- yeah, it's doing two things. One, it's a study of her, what that means for her, um, how obsessed she is with her work, and it kind of, you know, I saw this after Ennis Men, so, mm. you know, it was interesting to see the sort of real, a real-life person who has dedicated themselves <laughs> to the study of an environment. Um, and the impact that has had on her. But, obviously, this is also an environmental movie, because while she is on this island, she is seeing things swept to the shore of her tiny island. You know, little bits of plastic Mm. and bits of trash that have come, and she separates them into... She tries to figure out the origins and finds that they've come from just all over the sort of countries that border the Atlantic and further. Mm. Um, and it's just te- painting this horrible impression of what the sea, the oceans around mm. us have become in terms of what it, yeah, just what is put into it. And it's mm. kind of terrifying. And also the impact that that therefore has on the local wildlife, including the bird life, which she can sometimes seem a little unsentimental towards just in her mm. very matter of fact documenting of everything. But she is very clearly sort of shaken by how much her little island has changed in the past 40 years. So on one mm-hmm. hand, you have this kind of blissful, kind of idealistic, kind of living on your own, you know, <laughs> impression of things, and this paradise island, which is captured in this gorgeous 16mm film. And then on the other hand, just this really depressing realisation that the world is changing in a way that we are going to struggle to pull back. Um, yeah, so it was a very powerful call to arms to try and save this little island. No. Ugh. Well. Yeah, it was good to have something saucy to come to after that. <laughs> <laughs> a Room of My Own is a Georgian mm. movie uh, made by, uh, ooh, is that Losab or Eoseb? Because of an I, I think. Oh. I think it's Eoseb Soso 
Bliadzi. Bliades, perhaps. Um, Yeah, it's just a movie. It's about two women. They're living together. They're not getting on very well. One of them wants to move out, but COVID hits. And now they're stuck together. Mm -hmm. They have to quarantine together. Um, And it's just, it's fantastic. It's all about (laughs) their, how they bond and eventually fall in love. Um, It's a very saucy film, as you might expect, but it's also a movie about how physical space defines a relationship. Um, And it makes wonderful use of that physical space and of the two performances of the two leads are fantastic. And it really creates just a wonderful impression of two people who are very different and have different kind of hangups and values and uh, freedom, two different levels Mm. of freedom within themselves and what they allow themselves to feel. And yeah, it's just wonderful to see them come against each other. And so to speak, Um, it's (laughs) wonderful to see them. A Freudian slip. Whoopsie Daisy. Um it's just it's wonderful to see how they influence each other and how their lives end up changed by each other and also their relationships with the other people around them. So yeah, it was really really excellent. I really enjoyed a room of a room of my own. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Wonderful. I think we're finally done with the London Film Festival, Chen. <laughs> I think so. I hope so. What a hell of a thing. It's an extraordinary film. Um no a festival. It's an incredible event in the cinematic calendar mm. and i do oh, have it yeah. um i might be in relation to my masters traveling out to visit the berlinale um next year Ooh, yes which is early in the festival calendar and is characterized by uh the size of it <laughs> <laughs> um if the london film festival is the festival of festivals that handpicks the best things that came from all of the other festivals Berlin Ali is the movie that takes everything. They usually have the mm. largest catalog of movies um, that they're showing uh, to an intimidating degree. So <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how I am able to navigate that and what goes on. But we shall, yeah, I shall keep you posted on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I hope I don't get and shingles. Run? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to see all of them, Paul. I have to see as all of them as I can. As all of them as no. I can, Jen. No, you don't. Oh, no. <laughs> you really don't. Oh, February. It's February. No. <laughs> so the like middle 10 days from the 16th to the 26th. Oh, Just say the days. That's quicker. Yep. Um, One of the yeah. biggest film festivals in the world. Their theme is let's get together. Let's get together. That sounds like a Eurovision theme. Mm, it does. I'm, I'm on board. But, I'm happy with it. Yeah. There's no word on what's showing there. It could be anything. So great. I look forward to this. <laughs> mm. Yikes. You can do it. I believe in you. (laughs) I think they're going out for the whole two weeks. Wow. Oh, God. Yeah, you don't have to. I don't have to. Go for a... Or you go for the whole two weeks and also just go see Berlin on some days. Berlin does sound good. Maybe just two days film, one day Berlin. Yeah, that would be... Yeah, two on, one off kind of thing. (laughs) Mm. At least an afternoon, you know, just, you know. Yeah. Do yourself a favor. Do yourself a favor. Do yourself a favor. Have love. a word with yourself, and you know, do yourself a favor. Yeah, I can. T- I can put you in the direction of a very good kebab store. Yes, please. You have to queue for a long time, but it is worth it. I'll do it. that. I will do that. I've done it twice. <laughs> you, I literally queued for an hour both times. And it was still the best kebab I've ever eaten. Oh my God, I'll do that. I'll do that in a heartbeat. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, whilst we queue for this kebab, <laughs> um, I think we should sign off two podcasts. Really. Um, So, yeah, that's it for the Film Fest. See you at the next fest.
<laughs> yep. And yep. See you next year. <laughs> <laughs>